How's everybody doing? Good morning. Amazing. Awesome. Well, hey, we're going to do another Bible story this morning. And so if you got a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Exodus chapter 33. We're talking about uh, when just when Moses comes off Mount Sinai with those tablets uh, in that time frame. So hope you had a good week. Uh, service last week looked awesome. I watched it on the stream and uh, listened to Pastor Mark. So thank you for Pastor Mark for uh, just bringing a great word. And uh, we're going to have we're going to have a good one today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. I pray you would open up our hearts that we would receive this message as spiritual food for the soul, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1939, an amazing movie came out called The Wizard of Oz, right? It began in black and white, and then all of a sudden it turned to color, right? And everybody thought that was going to be the big thing, but The Wizard of Oz was, you know, it's actually, it's an amazing movie because it starts with this journey, right, to find The Wizard of Oz. I mean, that's kind of the climax, and you got Dorothy and all her characters, and they're, you know, going down the yellow brick road. And when they finally get to the Emerald City, and they finally see the Wizard of Oz. And by the way, this is like, for 1939, the special effects on this movie are like, you know, you almost wonder if aliens came down and like, you know, I'm just kidding. But, you know. but when they finally get there, it's a smokescreen, isn't it? It's fire, and it's, you know, big head, and he looks... Uh, but it's a phony glory because when you peek behind the curtain, all you find is a small little man trying to deceive others into thinking he is bigger than he really is. But it does teach us something, this movie. We all yearn to see and experience something glorious. I went back to Michigan last week for a little family reunion and uh, being with my brother it reminded me of when me and my brother went to one of our first baseball games. This would have been watching the Detroit Tigers. And uh, back in the early 80s, the Detroit Tigers were very much a contending team. And so one time, my aunt got some tickets, and my parents sent us with her and her work group uh, to go to the Detroit Tigers game. Now, interestingly enough, in the early 80s, you know, it, Detroit was still very much a jungle. It was the first time I ever saw two men fist fight right in front of us, you know, uh, right in front of the stadium. They just brought, got out in an all-out brawl, you know, and my eyes are big, and I'm like, wow, these guys are scary. But when I got into the stadium, I could have cared less about those guys. I wanted to see who then was my baseball hero. His name was Kirk Gibson. And, I, you know, back in the early 80s, there's no internet, right? So, and television was like all fuzzy, you couldn't really see it. So even though I wanted to catch a glimpse of him, either on television or whatever, I never really could see him. I remember when I went to the game, I said, Eric, we're going to sneak down the aisles, and we're going to try to get a close glimpse of Kirk Gibson. So we did that. And sure enough, as he was throwing the ball, he turned around, and I saw him in his full glory. Scruffy-faced. I mean, he looked just like that, you know? I mean, just, I remember going, man, he is way scarier than those two drunk idiots we just saw fighting, you know? I mean, this was, to see him was just, you know, I remember thinking to myself, I 
just came face to face with Kurt Gibson and lived. You know, I mean, it was just like one of those moments. <laughs> a few years later, uh, when I was in elementary school, I was still in elementary school, uh, the nation of Japan, they started this program where all of their students beginning in elementary school would learn English. So in our school, they established a pen pal program, you know, where you write. So we would write letters and they would write back. But over the course of the years, fourth or fifth grade, must have wrote probably four or five letters that went back and forth. And you know what the thing I never got, and I, maybe this was just the age, I never got to see him. We never thought to send a picture. We just wrote letters. And to this day, I really wish I could have saw the kid. I, could see, I wish I could see him today. Because to see someone face to face is to know them just a little bit better, isn't it? Isn't it, you know? And so in Exodus 33, as we get to our context of our Bible study, Moses has just led the people to the Sinai mountain. But for now, only Moses has gone up. And they see Moses and God speaking in this thunderous booming and whatever. The problem is the people of Israel, they get impatient. So they make a golden calf, they make an idol, and then they have the raunchiest party you could ever imagine just as Moses is coming down and he sees this. And so in the midst of this context, Moses is saying, how am I going to lead these people? And God says, I'm going to help you. And Moses has a very fair question. Well, God, what is that help going to look like? What do you look like? We're just kind of burning bush. Yeah, I got that. But what? I mean, can you give me a little bit? Can you show me something? Let's read in Exodus 33. You'll see it on the screen. If you didn't bring your Bible, if you did, go ahead and must out. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have, not let me, you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Maybe Moses was expecting an angel or something, you know, I mean, he's got to be, what are we following here, God? He says, and, and, you, and God said, Moses says, you have said, I know you by name. In other words, Moses, God knows Moses, and you have found favor with me. So Moses says, well, if I found so much favor with you, then teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Pretty good ask. He, and then Moses says, remember, God, this nation, they're your people. Sometimes I kind of think in his head, he's go, Moses is going, God, these people are your people, not my people. I don't, these people are weird. I don't want to be one of them, you know. God, these people are your people. And then if you, I just skip down to verse 18, Moses said, God, show me your glory. And what an, what a question. Almost sounds arrogant, doesn't it? God, show me your glory. I want to see it. I mean, we don't have the tone, we don't have the, the context, but it's an amazing ask. It is one of the biggest, probably the biggest thing you can ask of God. God, show me your glory. Take the gloves off. I want to see it all. I want to see it all. In, in the same vein that I wanted to see the kid that I wrote letters to, to see someone is to know them a little bit better. And so God says this beginning in verse 19. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. 
and I will proclaim my name, my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy, and this is part of his name, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God has a whole paragraph for his name. <laughs> we just have one word. But he said in verse 20, you cannot see my face, for no one can see the face of God and live. And then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes, I will put you in the cleft of that rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Verse 23 says, then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. God's spelling out some rules here. God says, this is a huge ask by Moses, right? To see God's glory is to see God himself. Probably the biggest reason I get against Christianity and church and everything is people go, where is God? Show me God that I may see him. Come on. If I'm going to follow God, if I'm going to believe in God, I got to see something. And my answer is, no, 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 you don't want to see it. <laughs> you don't want to see it. It'll kill you. It'll kill you. It's that glorious. It's that intense. All right? See it in me. See it in the church. You don't want to see it face to face. Because no man can see the face of God and live. So as Moses is saying, let me see you as you really are. No clothes, no, well, not no clothes. You know what I mean. No, no clouds, no fires, no masks. Just pure God. Now, usually when we pray, we're saying, Lord, help me find a job. Lord, please heal my child. Lord, reveal your will to me. Increase my faith. Help me overcome my doubts. Or save me from this day of trouble. Those are all great prayers because they ask something that only God can do. Those are great prayers. This one's in a whole category of its own. It's not asking God to do anything for him. It's Moses saying, I want to see you. Why does he want to see you? Because he wants to know God more and he wants to know who he's following. The attitude of the heart is pure in Moses. Moses dares to go where no man has gone before. He's truly the Captain Kirk of the Bible. He's going to ask what nobody else has asked yet. He wants to see the essence of God. God's glory is God's power, plus His wisdom, plus His justice, plus His mercy, plus more wisdom, plus His holiness and His love, and every other attribute of God all packed into one. It almost seems arrogant for Moses to ask such a thing. But here's the, here's the beauty. God says yes to a point. God says, I will show you as much as I can show you, and you can still live. That's a beautiful answer. He says, I'll show you, but not all of it. Moses will not see God's face. He'll see God's back. But that's the beauty of it. He's going to see where God is going not where God is coming. Because we are not called to see God coming. We are called to what? Follow Him. And when you follow somebody, you see where they are going. 
So Moses will see more than any man has ever seen before. He will see the most we could see and not die. My question for us is this. How does this story apply to us? If you have a discussion sheet, you can go ahead and flip it over right now, and you'll see there's four points. We'll answer those together. My first point is this. God says yes to this question. When you say God, you may, and maybe you won't say it like Moses. Maybe you won't be as bold to say it. God, show me your glory. I get it. That is a big, bold ask. But some of us in desperation may say, God, show me something. Show me something. God answers yes to this question. He wants to be seen. God never said to Moses, Moses, how dare you ask that? How dare you ask to see my glory? You should be, you know, you should be satisfied with nature. You should be satisfied with the stars of the sky at night. You should be satisfied with the human being. You should be satisfied. How dare you? God never says that. God wants to be seen. He wants to be known. In fact, I will tell you the truth. Jesus Christ went and died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. These bodies could die. They could be raised like his body and transformed so that we could see God face to face. That's how badly God wants you to see him. He died for you to see him. So don't think now just because we can't snap our fingers and have the glory of the Lord fill this room. That God somehow doesn't want that. He paid a huge price to give us that. But for now, we'll have to settle for the ways that He does reveal Himself. Nature is one of them. People. People are one of the most amazing. I see God in people all the time. Dreams, imaginations, thoughts, premonitions. Or another way. One time uh, when I was in college, we had this thing called group, and they had a person who was an atheist who became a Christian. They did a question and answer with them. And they said, what was the one thing that changed when you were an atheist and you became a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus? And he said, before I simply couldn't recognize God anywhere, and now I see God everywhere. Point number two, God shows us where he is going and he invites us to follow him. That's the whole point. You can see my back. Notice the perspective that Moses gets. He gets the from behind perspective. One time uh, I was hiking in Washington. Hiking in Washington State is a lot different than hiking in California. Because, see, they have these things up there called trees and bushes and brambleberry bushes and all of these kinds of things. And they grow so much because God decided it has to rain there nine months a year. And so so we're on a a, a hike, a really fun hike. And it was was our floor and our sister floor together. And we're, we're going on this hike, and all of a sudden, the hiking guide... It was just one of us, but he was in the charge. He said, all right, everybody for this next stretch, grab the coat or the sweatshirt. There's rarely up there, are you in t-shirts? And because this part of the trail 
is very overgrown. It's hard to see the path, and you're just going to, you know, if you let go, you might get lost, and you and the rest of your group mate. I never forgot that. Like, what? I got to grab, somebody's grab, I mean, it's like follow the leader, and we're 23 years old, 21 years old, whatever, you know. But such a good image and example of how we walk through this life. Because we, we can't see but in a mirror dimly. So God is saying, grab on to the back of my coattails and follow me and I will guide you and make your path straight so that you don't end up doing this in life. Zig, zag, zig, zag. I spoke to somebody recently. They're 55 years old. They said, I just need to get my life started. 55 years old. I hate to say it, but it's started. You're past halftime now, brother. You know? But you know what he's describing? A life of zig, zag, zig, zag. And God says, hold on to my coat. And we're just going to take the straight path, straight to glory. Amen? Number three, we experience God's glory in a time of crisis. The context of this prayer is right after what Moses must have perceived as a huge personal failure. Moses is the leader of these people. He just witnessed miracle after miracle the 10 plagues of egypt yeah those were miraculous plagues god sent for the egyptians to release the hebrews from slavery the red sea parting come on that's a pretty big miracle two million people saw that miracle. that's a pretty big miracle when we get to mount sinai it's as if all those miracles never happened they're partying they built an idol. They're worshiping an idol. Moses must have come down and thought, man, what kind of leader am I? These people must not think much of me at all. He must have looked up and said, God, I failed you. I led them out of Egypt just to become as pagan as the Egyptians. The context of this prayer, Moses has reached his breaking point. And every one of us here, we have breaking points. A few of you, you're closer to snapping than you realize. We all have that breaking point. You know what often happens as we near that breaking point or we hit that breaking point? We get so discouraged, so demoralized, and so mad at God, we just lie down and just live in defeat, live in addiction, live in discouragement, live in anger live in insecurity, live in fear. Because we hit that breaking point and we broke and we're done. I'm sure Moses looked at all that and said, you know what, I'm going to grab my staff and go back to my father-in-law and my sheep and my kids and forget these people. I'm going to leave them out here to starve. Because when we, we, when we reach our breaking point, nine out of ten of us, we lie down in front of the enemy and just let him fillet us over and over and over. This is the beauty of Moses. Because failure 
is probably one of the biggest crises a human being will ever face when you face a failure. But instead of lying down, instead of getting angry and discouraged, Moses increases his ask. You've shown me a burning bush. You've shown me the Shekinah glory cloud. I I mean, this looks crazy, but God, I want to see more. I'm going to ask you for more when the chips are down. I'm going to ask you more when I'm deathly afraid. I'm going to ask you more when I'm steeped in addiction. I'm going to ask you more when I can't stop criticizing people 24-7. I'm going to ask you more when I'm insecure out of my mind. I'm going to ask you more when I'm filled with doubts and unbelief. I'm going to ask for more. I want to see it all. And I think that's what God touched God's heart the most. And that is the encouragement I have for you. Because you cannot go through this life without at some point reaching a breaking point. Reaching a point where you're like, you know what? Where you're 55 and waiting for your life to start. That guy's life had already started. He just reached a breaking point. He looked back and said, I, don't, I think my life has been for nothing. Failure. Breaking point. And that's when as a pastor, I say, grab my hands, let's get on our knees, and let's pray for the glory of the Lord to fill your life once again. Because I think you're closest to the glory of God when you're at that crisis point. That's when you're closest. You know why? Because you're not going to try to control anything anymore. You've done it your way. It didn't work. So now you're just going to surrender it all to God and say, God, take over or kill me. And God takes over and gives you a story and a testimony to tell of his glory. Number four, when this prayer is answered, others will know it before you do. I want to finish, it's really in the next chapter, but let's finish this real quick. I think the scripture's up there. Yeah, it is. Uh, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant, that's the Ten Commandments, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Some of God's glory, remember he saw the back of God's glory, some of that glory rubbed off on Moses' face. But Moses didn't know it. I don't know how he didn't know it. Because if he had a radiating glory, you'd think there'd be like some light on his peripheral vision. But he didn't know it. So he's walking down the mountain. And as he's walking up to Aaron and the leaders and the people, they take one look and say, that dude's been with God. His face is glowing with the glory of God. It says his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. Some of God's glory had rubbed off on him. Whenever you spend time with God, some of that glory rubs off on you. You might say, Tom, are you closer to the Lord this year than you were last year? You know the best people to answer that question? 
are they? You to a degree, Kelly. Ah, but my wife, even more. Ask my wife. And my son's there too. They'll tell you if I've been around God or not. They can tell you because the glory rubs off a little bit. You ask me. <laughs> well, the fact of the matter is, I don't really know how to always answer that question. I certainly hope I'm closer to the Lord more today than I was a year ago, but, but my judgment's kind of flawed because I don't see myself clearly. I mean, let's face it. I see myself the way I want to see myself. We all see ourselves the way we want to see ourselves, but the people around us, they see us for who they really are. They see us for who we really are. When God answers this prayer and pours His glory in your life, other people will most likely see it and recognize it even before you do. I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm going to tell you this. This is as true as the day is long. We talk about dreams and visions and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I've had very few of those. Every, I'd say maybe three dreams that I, I woke up and I just knew were from God. And, I, and I've been a Christian now 30 years. So once every 10 years I get a dream. The other dreams, you don't even want to know what those are like, you know. They are like so bizarre. <laughs> but once in my life, I had a vision. It was when I was 19 years old. So it was nearly 30 years ago now. And I've had pictures in my mind and daydreams and imaginations. And I've, you know, I've like imagined heaven and imagined. I am not talking about that at all. A, viv a vision is so vivid, your eyes aren't closed. and They're open. I don't know if mine were actually open or not. But it was exactly what I'm telling you, a vision. I was there. I experienced it. I saw it. I cannot remember 18, 19, 21. I can't remember that phase of my life at all. This vision, I could draw it on a picture and recount it to you in minute detail. It's burned into my brain, huge. And the vision was this. I was in a very dark room filled with people as far as the eye could see to the horizon. A lot like this slide. Imagine just the silhouette of human heads beneath that doorway. Just going as far as you could see. I can still see them as I'm describing this to you. And it was just like the moon's twilight. I could just barely make out the silhouettes. And then, boom, a light in a rectangle-shaped door just illuminated everything. I looked up to see it, and in my vision, nobody else did. I looked up to see it, and what I saw was a man not facing me. 
but in the middle, in the threshold of the doorway like that. And the man began walking into the light. And as soon as he took that first step, I was instantly transported in front of that door. And I stepped across into that light. And then everything went white and bright. And I blinked. And I was right there with the pastor who was praying for me. And he was on his knees crying and he looked at me and said, what happened? You were like in a trance with your eyes open. And I said, I'm not sure what happened. And when I described to him what happened, he said, you've seen what the Bible calls a vision. I said, what's that? He took me to the book of Genesis where Jacob saw a vision of a ladder and the angels going up and down. He said, this is what had happened to you. I probably cried for three days after that. I could see that vision. And when I stepped through that door into that light, I can tell you exactly what happened. I became a follower of Jesus. That old silhouette probably just fell back into that dark sea of people. And that new life walked into the light. I'm not saying for 30 years I've walked it perfectly. But the point of the vision was this. This is where I can relate to Moses. I did not see the face of the man standing in the door. And I know now that that man was Jesus. He walked into the light, meaning I saw his back. Because at this stage of our existence, we are to follow him. We're not going to see the front. That's heaven. We'll get to one day, but that's heaven. For now, we grab onto the coat and say, take the step. I'll lead where you follow. Now you may say, what if you sin along the way? That's what the Bible calls stumbling. Hey, you might stumble. Hold on to the coat harder when you stumble, right? If you hold on to the coat harder when you stumble, you won't fall. I stumble, you stumble, we all stumble. Paul says, until our dying breath, we're going to struggle. But thanks be to God who will rescue us from this body of death, Jesus if you are willing to be made weak, you will learn things about God that you could never know when you were strong. The strong have no need of God, so they think. But the weak, the weak are hidden in the cleft of the rock, and they are the ones who truly see God. By your heads, let's pray. Worship team, come up forward. As we close this morning, I want us to think about perhaps what sort of crisis you may be enduring. And maybe you have none. I hope and pray you don't. While God uses crisis, I never pray for any more than I need to, any more than I need to have. But it is in that crisis where we often are softened and humbled enough to say, God, I need a taste of your glory. God, I need 
I need you to come punch a hole in this world and show me something. So just in the quietness of your heart right now, you say, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. I humble myself. Like the 